This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, everybody. My guest today, 13 years ago, today, was sentenced to essentially life in prison. 13 years ago today. And then he finds himself sitting across from me 13 years later, having completely transformed his life and has become one of the great speakers on planet Earth, one of the great influencers on planet Earth, and has become dear friends with many of my best friends. And it's one of the most remarkable stories you are ever going to hear in your damn life. So get ready, strap in, and here is Damon West. Damon, welcome to the show, brother. Ed, man, thank you for having me. I got to tell you, brother, I'm, I'm in a long-term program recovery, mm-hmm. and that's how I got turned on your podcast about a year and a half ago, man. People in recovery, you're real big in the recovery circles mm-hmm. because, because of that, that key tenant that we have of service-oriented work. You know, mm-hmm. service work is how we stay sober, and you live it, you speak it, you pass it on to your listeners. I'm one of them. Thank you. And it's that, um, that's what attracted me to you and your story. Then you started talking about your dad, man. So I'm so happy to be here. I hope you'll let me hit you with questions about your father today. Yeah. Because I got questions, man. Yeah, well, I got a lot for you. <laughs> I mean, I've never introduced somebody and said 13 years ago today they got sentenced to life in prison. 65 years is basically a life sentence in Texas. And um, the fact that you're sitting here, man, and you, what you've accomplished since you've been out is remarkable. I, I think everyone's one you know is one of the most riveting stories you ever heard. By by the way, one of the best communicators you will have ever heard from in your life. So let's go back first, and let's just go to 13 years ago today first. We can go back from there, but let's just go to that. What what does that feel like when you hear the words that you are guilty and going away? What is the emotional feeling that someone like you? only you can experience what is that moment like in someone's i've always wondered i've never been able to ask somebody that question before right no yeah. it's like look down the barrel of a gun and someone pulled the trigger and that's it i mean they unloaded on me and what does it feel like it feels like rock bottom that was my rock bottom moment and it feels like i felt like i got punched in the stomach really hard when you know you the wind is knocked out of you yeah. when the judge read the sentence out 65 years and it was like man they just hit me with life and i knew it was gonna be bad Ed, because i walked back in the courtroom first of all the trial lasted six days Six days is a long criminal trial for crimes that were non-aggravated. No one was ever home during the burglaries I committed. They're all meth-related burglaries, property crimes around meth. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't do the crime. I did the crimes, and Mm -hmm. and I was a bad guy. Because when when I broke into people's houses, my victims, I didn't just steal their property, man. I stole their sense of security. And so I deserved to go to prison. But the trial lasted six days, and over those six days, the jury heard the story of Damon West. And as they heard the story more and more— they began to resent and hate Damon West. And I could see it in their eyes. I could feel it coming out of them. Mm. And they had every right to. Because here's a guy in front of them that had everything going in life, every advantage, every privilege, every opportunity. And Ed, at the end of that six-day trial, they went to deliberate for 10 minutes. Oh, my gosh. 10 minutes, bro. 10 minutes on your life. 10 minutes on my life. And I came back in the courtroom. What? They give you a bologna sandwich whenever you're in the breaks back there. People don't see this, but in the back they have a holding cell and they bring you lunch because your lunch is a bologna sandwich when you're in jail. And I'm sitting there taking a couple bites of the bologna sandwich, and the bailiff comes in and says, they're ready. And I'm like, I couldn't even chew the sandwich. My, my throat knotted up. I spit it out in the toilet. Are you freaking kidding yeah, me? Yeah, man, because it's like, oh, dude, that's not good. So I walk back <laughs> in the courtroom, and, and I have two paid attorneys, Ed. I'm, I'm a white, middle-class guy in America. I've got two paid attorneys. I've never had a felony conviction. I thought I was going to get probation that day, and I thought I'd be out getting high because I'm yeah. still an addict in my addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And so I come back into the courtroom, and my second chair counselor, the woman named Karen Lambert, 
She said, brace yourself, it's going to be bad. And I'm like, how bad, Karen? Mm. She said, well, you were gone for that brief 10 minutes. The jury sent a note into the judge from the jury room. They wanted to know if they could give you life without parole. Ed, life without parole is a capital punishment. There's, these aren't capital crimes. I'm like, Karen, that's crazy. She said, get ready. And the judge came back in. Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. The first thing I heard, yeah, the first thing I heard was my mother gasp out loud. She's behind me in the courtroom. And, you know, the sound only a mother can make when she hears her son get a life sentence in prison. And, Ed, that day, there's so much going on. And after the the moment's over, the sheriffs are on me, the bailiffs are on me, they handcuff me. They're dragging me out of the courtroom. And I lock eyes with my mom on the way out the door, and all I can think to say to my mom, Ed, is, I'm sorry, Mom. And I don't, I don't even know that I fully understood that I meant it or anything like that, mm. but it's the only thing I can think to say to my poor mother. My, my father's there, too. But, Ed, right after that trial was over, my mother and my dad are brought in to this. They put me in this little room. It's got a bulletproof glass, and they told me to wait on the mm. other side of the glass. And my mom and my dad were escorted, and they feel sorry for my parents because I just got life. And so my mom has a conversation with me. It's a five-minute little one-off deal, and and she's just on it, man. And she's mm-hmm. telling me, she's like, you know, Damon, debts in life demand to be paid. You just got hit with one heck of a bill from the state of Texas because she said, you did the things they said you did. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to go to prison. You're going to pay that debt. You owe Texas that debt. She said, but you owe your father and I a debt too. She said, we gave wow. you all the opportunity, love and support to be anything you want to be in life. And she said, that's how you just repaid us, Damon? She said, that's not going to work. Mm. And she's reminding me, she said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of a city. Gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay to us. Now, Ed, here it is, man. This is the direction of my life. This is those moments that you come to and you say, this is where it changed. She said, when you go to prison, you will not get to one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type of gangs, mm. because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, that's not going to work. You were never raised to be a racist. You're not going to start now. She said, you will not get, yeah, she said, you will not get any tattoos while you're inside that prison. You don't have any. No, I don't have any tats, man. Mm. I mean, and I was in the joint for almost 10 years, man. These guys, they want to tattoo every inch of your body in a joint. Man, every time these guys would come up to me in prison, Wes, let me put a tattoo on you, man. I'd be like, man, dude, I can't do it, man. My mom said no. (laughs) Because she did. Because listen to what she said next on May 18th, 2009, 13 years ago today. She says, Damon, no gangs. No tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. Oh, my gosh, brother. I was floored, Ed. Yeah. Your mom rose to the occasion really right there, too. And she's a nurse, man. She's used to traumatic situations, right? She compartmentalized all the pain and got to work. And I asked my mom since then. I said, Mom, what was it like for you? Because I'm I'm very, like I said, I want to ask you questions today. I want to ask questions. I want to understand people in the moment. She said, Damon, what I envisioned was my son is on a gurney dying, and I'm doing triage to save my son's life. And I stepped up, and that was what came to me from the Holy Spirit. She said, and my mom's a very devout Christian woman, mm-hmm. so she said, that's what came to me, but it was like you were on a gurney dying, and I've got to stem the flow of blood, or you're going to die. My gosh. So everyone, I want you to step back for a second. First thing is, you're hearing this unbelievable story, right? And we're going to go deeper on it. But I want you to know, as we go through this story, you're going to begin to hear some of the turnarounds and the strategies and the tactics that have produced this guy sitting in front of me because some of the people that I admire and respect most in the world have been recommending Damon to me for some time and God's just so amazing man we've been you know kind of trying to put something together for a while and I I send you a message on Instagram I go hey May 18th get there 
Yeah, right? that's you, it, man. You're, was... like, you're like, I'll come, right? And little do I know that it, that'd be the 13-year to-the-day anniversary of you getting life in prison. I had no idea what the date. I didn't even know what the significance meant at all. So God is just absolutely amazing that he sends you to me on that day. I call it God things, man. That's yeah. why I text you. Dude, you're never going to believe this. Yeah. Not only is it the 13-year anniversary, it's my three-year anniversary of being married. My wife and I, Kendall and I, got I married 10 years to the day that I got sentenced to life in prison. You came man. to see me on your anniversary. Now I really love you. Thank oh, you. Oh, man. And your I've... wife probably hates me, but no, thank you. No, we were in Mexico a couple weeks. Since that video, we were in Mexico. Yeah, that's right. And so that's we right. went for our anniversary trip a, a week okay. early, a couple weeks early, because I have so many speaking engagements going on. Isn't this good to hear, by the way? Because now you guys know there's like a happily ever after at some point. But let's stay in this thing here. Let's go. So, okay, you get sentenced, but let's go back. They were meth. It sounds pretty severe from what I understand happened. You had nonviolent robberies, basically, in your history, and you were a meth addict. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Okay, was, so that's the that's a long time. Life in prison was 65 years for nonviolent, you know, robberies. But let's just, you did the crime and you, you did time for it. It just seems excessive to me, and I think it is excessive. But let's go back. You get raised by, obviously, these beautiful parents. You're an unbelievable athlete, Right. What was it? One decision that altered the direction of your life? Is it one time you just decided to use drugs once and you just bam, you were hooked? Or what took place? What took you down the road that led you 13 years ago to this day to sitting in that room? Yeah, you know, whenever I was younger, I, I got into substance abuse at a young age. The, my gateway drug was alcohol. It's the okay. first thing I ever did. I got mm-hmm. into my dad's beer when I was 10, mm-hmm. you know, and after that, I, I, I smoked pot when I was 12 and I had a lot of character issues, man. And, but I could throw a football. And this is Texas, man. Texas high school football. It's like a religion in my home state. These people are very serious about their football. And I was the man. I was a three-year starting quarterback for a 5A school. So my behaviors never were... I never. I was never held accountable for my behaviors, and I'm not blaming anybody else for that. It's just, I mean, but I, um, I didn't. I didn't get held accountable. I was a good student. I made grades. Um, got a scholarship to play football at the University of Texas. But I think the one decision that I made is that I got into substance abuse at a young age. I had no idea that I was an addict. You know, you don't. There's not a genetic test for this yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there will be one mm-hmm. day. But I was an addict, and once I put in those chemicals for the first time, I liked the way it felt. I liked the buzz I got from drinking. Mm-hmm. Then I wanted to try something different. And it wasn't until I got to college that I got into more hardcore drugs. I was playing football, and I got injured. I had a career in an injury in 1996 against Texas A&M. I'm 20, man. I was a starting quarterback. You played you played sports, man. Yeah. You know how big it is yeah. to, when your career ends prematurely. You're not ready for this. It's your whole dream. It's your whole world. It was my identity. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. I wrap my identity up into something external. And yeah. I see people all the time in the world. We see people mm-hmm. that wrap their identities up into something external their money their job whatever mm-hmm. that's not you man what's you is inside you yes. i didn't get that back then though Ed. i didn't get that Im- yeah. i didn't get the memo right mm-hmm. so i got into hardcore drugs in 96 cocaine ecstasy pills graduated college went off to work and uh worked in the united states congress worked for a guy running for president Crazy. worked on wall street Ed, i was a wall street i was I training to be a stockbroker in dallas when i was introduced to meth for the first time but now we're back to the one decision of substance abuse man mm-hmm. once i put the chemicals in at a young age i liked the way it felt and i changed Chase that. Mm-hmm. You also, if you don't mind saying it, we're going to go a little bit more personal, but I don't know if it was at the time or later, you sort of uncovered that there's probably a not very fair incident that happened to you when you were a young man as well, that you're maybe, maybe you're masking it a little oh, bit. Oh right? yeah. No, yeah. when I was nine, I was, I was molested by a babysitter, female babysitter. And this is so, but I'm careful when I, when I talk about it, I'm careful not to say that, hey, you know, this is what happened to me and this is the road I went down mm-hmm. because of that. Because some people are really 
some people have very traumatic experiences with that. This was a female babysitter that we were doing things. I was nine years old when this happened. No nine-year-old should be doing the stuff I was mm-hmm. doing. But it didn't affect me in the sense Ed, that it's like, oh, my God, my world was turned upside down. I can't believe this happened to me. Mm-hmm. What happened to me with that is I got introduced to adult behaviors at a very young okay. age. It's like someone lets you inside that big door. Yeah. And once you got on the other side of that door at nine, which you're not supposed to be on the side of that door at nine, there's all these other doors. But those doors aren't locked. Those doors are for adults. You can just open doors to adults because you make choices. And but I got on the other side of that door at nine years old, and now there's drinking, there's smoking, there's smoking dope, there's you know skipping school, cutting classes, you know mm-hmm. chasing girls, all that stuff. I got introduced to that at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So very that, well said. Very yeah, well and this, said. I don't. I love I, how you just said that. I don't want to use it as as a crutch because yeah. I know that some people are very traumatically affected by that, mm-hmm. and it, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that it did affect me. Mm-hmm. But what it did to me is it introduced me to adult behaviors at a very young age. Mm. And when I touched that live wire of substances, I, I liked it. What about this idea that when you are someone addicted to substances, you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you learn to ma- manipulate people. You learn to, put a, you learn to put a presentation of yourself to people that is not real. And you do this repetitiously all of your life, right? So at some point you lose yourself, don't you? When you're sort of faking who you are to everybody else, isn't there a point where you sort of just lose self completely when you're in that type of behavior pattern for so long? Absolutely. You, you, you have yeah. delusional thinking, you know, mm-hmm. delusions of grandeur. But mm-hmm. eventually, I mean, you, if, if you're into substance abuse and you get into addiction really hard, you even have delusions of adequacy. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're... You become delusional. You live in a world where you have this fallacy, this idea of control. You think you have control over all these other things around you. You think you're a master manipulator. You're the wizard behind the curtain. You're pulling levers and pushing buttons, and people do what you want them to do. But yeah, you lose yourself along the way. You get wrapped up in this external world because you don't focus on self. You're living in a world where you're selfish, self-seeking, self-want self-desires, self-delusion. These are this is the world of an addict mm. right there. It's pretty amazing that you you grew up with this unbelievable gift of your talent. Your Texas football is religion. You're a quarterback. You're unbelievable. You're going to the best place to go play. You come from a good family. Then you have even all these other upsides that happen. So that happens. It's 13 years ago today. And now you've made this commitment to your mom. Well, th- th- there's commitments and then there's commitments. So I know very little about prison, but I have had some good friends go. And so I want you to walk us through this. Now you've made a commitment to your mom that you're not going to get involved in one of these racial groups, which is where most 99.9% of the guys go to hide at some point. And even those groups, sometimes you have to fight your way in. So what's that like? You're in prison now. And I'm sure the the Aryan Brotherhood are trying to get you in the get you into their good graces, and everybody else is coming after you. Would 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 you just start fighting or what? Yeah, happens? well, I mean, you know, to, to answer the question, I've got a I've got about two months here while I'm in Dallas County Jail, waiting to be transported to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. They send a prison bus to can pick you up with guards that are armed. But in that two month period, this is awesome. Right I'm here. running around Dallas County Jail, and I'm asking all these guys that have been to prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? I'm in game mode now. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh man, this is really happening. Mm-hmm. And and every guy I talk to, man. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they say the same thing. you got to get into a gang. You will not survive without a gang. They told me the lie that so many people here in the, in the streets of America, the gang will be your family. The gang is going to love you. The gang is going to protect you. All lies, Ed. Now, what wasn't a lie is they said you're going to the worst part of the prison system where everybody in the building you live on has life. They call this the life sentence building. Jeez. West, get into a gang. Save your life. Get into a gang. But there was this one guy that was so different in Dallas County, this old black man named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson's what you call a career criminal. Dude's been in our prison all his life four or five times, right? Mm-hmm. 
but he's the most positive guy I've ever met, Ed. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere he went. You couldn't knock the smile off of Jackson's face. And every morning, man, every, every morning, this man would come up to my cell, to my bunk, and he'd pick me up like a ray of sunshine in that dark place with his positive energy, right? So one morning, Mr. Jackson comes up. He's got a cup of coffee in his hands. This is awesome. And a smile man. on his face. He said, West, he said, I've been watching how you're dealing with those knuckleheads and those dummies. Talk about you got to get into a gang. He said, do not listen to these fools. He said, you want to keep that promise you made to your mom and your dad? Then let me tell you what prison's going to be like. So he tells me, he said, the first thing you need to understand about prison, he said, prison's all about race. And he said, race is the big dynamic in there because all the inmates want it to be about race. And, and he was right, Ed. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the whole overriding dynamic of prison. He said, because it's about race, when you walk in the door of the life in this building, he said, you're going to see a TV set in that day room. And in front of the TV set, they have rows of benches. He said, the first row of benches, you can't sit on that row. That's for the blacks. You're going to get your head smashed in. You sit on that row. The second row, you can't sit on that one either. That's for the Hispanics. They'll smash your head into. He said, the third row, if there's a third row, is where the white folks sit. He said, if there's no third row, white folks sit on the floor. That's the way the numbers work in prison. He said, it's the opposite of the free world. You don't have the numbers in there like you have out here. Mm. So don't get into a wreck over race. He said, but because it's about race, when you walk in the door, the white gangs get the first dibs on you. He said, the Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods, he's naming all the white prison gangs. He said, you have to fight all of them if you want to be independent from them. He said, you don't have a choice in this. You have to fight if you want to be independent. Mm. He said, if you don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear. And let me tell you what I learned about fear. I learned that fear is a liar. Fear makes you see things that aren't there. It makes you believe things that are not real. In fact, I would argue fears aren't even real. Fears are in your head. Fear, fear is how you perceive a situation. Danger is real. <laughs> you have to respect danger. Mm. But fear is not real. And Jackson's telling me, don't give in to this artificial thing called fear. Mm. But get ready, because once you get done with the white gangs, the black gangs are coming next. The Crips, the Bloods, the Gangster Disciples, Mandingo Warriors. He's naming all the black uh. Yeah, he said, you have to fight all of them. He said, if you survive all this, West, and he said, and you can survive all this, he said, you're going to earn the right to walk alone. He said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone. Wow. He told me about fighting, and this is a truth that I've shared. I've spoken to hundreds of audiences the last six years since I've been out of prison, and this is something I always leave them with. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. What a huge lesson in life, right? Because that tells you that some days you're going to win and some days you're going to lose. I'm not saying losing is a great thing you should aspire to, but you're going to lose sometimes, and you're not going to win all your fights. But when you lose, get up, and that's what he's saying. Don't stay down. Get up. But when he's telling me this back in 2009, man, 13 years ago, I'm looking back at this guy like a deer in headlights, man. Oh, there's violence and terror I'm about to walk into? So he says, Wes, let me break it down for you another way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. This is the best thing I've ever heard. He right? said, what you're any, about to say. oh man, yeah. this is it's yeah. wild. And this yeah. is something that everybody can grab onto this thing. Yeah. This is the whole crux of the presentation. Yeah. He said, imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put into this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in this pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot an egg, and a coffee bean. So he walks me through it. He said, so first things first. He said, if I put a carrot in the pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I'm like, Mr. Jackson, the carrot's going to turn soft. And he said, that's right, Wes. He said, but the carrot went in the water hard. But the water, the prison, turned that hard carrot soft and mushy and weak. Didn't take long. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. May got raped. May got killed. You don't want to be this carrot, West. He said, what about the egg? What happened to the egg in the pot of boiling water we call prison? And I'm like, well, Mr. Jackson, the egg is going to turn hard, man, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right, Wes. He said, the egg has a shell that protects it physically, but inside that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart became hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love in that place, you become institutionalized, and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize, 
He said, because your eggshell's going to have swastikas tattooed all over it. Then he asked me, he said, what about the coffee bean, West? And Ed, I didn't have an answer for this dude. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water. Mm. And that's when this man, this man that looked nothing like me, he didn't come from the same America I came from, Ed, mm. didn't believe the same things I believe, mm. fundamentally or spiritually. Mm. This is a black Muslim man from the streets of Dallas, Texas, y'all. I'm a, I'm a white Catholic guy from a little bitty town called Port Arthur. Gosh. But this man, so different than me, shared with me one of the most and important so wise. and transformational messages I've ever received. And I tell people all the time, man, if you ever shut yourself off to people because of their differences, different race, different gender, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, mm. man, if you close yourself off to people because of their differences— you're going to miss some of the most important lessons and some of the best friendships in this life. Because this man told me that day, he said, if I put a coffee bean in that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, Ed, he said the coffee bean had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power was inside that coffee bean. And he said, just like the power's inside you. And he told me the coffee bean's the only thing that'll change the water. The carrot is changed by the water. The eggs are changed by the water. Coffee beans are the only thing that changed the water. And the last thing he tells me, the last thing I hear from Mr. Jackson, he says, Wes, go out there and go be a coffee bean. Now, Ed, I walk into prison, and it is a baptism by fire, man. Inside the first 10 minutes, man, I'm in a fight with a big, huge Aryan Brotherhood guy. Dude beats me from one side of the day room first to the other. First 10 minutes. First 10 minutes, man. It's, and, it's all, and Jackson told me what to expect. He said, man, the first guy that comes up to you when you walk in the door, he's not a threat. He's an information gatherer. He's a scout. He's going he's gonna to be a white guy because you're white. He's going to ask you this question. What gang do you want to be a part of? What family? do you want? They call mm-hmm. gangs families. Get him out of your face as fast as you can and get ready. He said, because the second guy that comes up, he's not coming to talk to you. He's coming to fight you. He said, he's coming to hurt you. He said, when this guy gets within range, Put your fist in his mouth. Hit him as hard as you can. Don't even let him get a word in. And Ed, when I walk in the door, man, I'm there. I got my bags and my property. I set them on the ground. I put my back against the wall. Stumbling up in a couple minutes. A little bitty white dude. A little bald-headed white dude. Tatted up from head to toe. Even his eyelids are tatted up, right? And mm-hmm. he comes up. He gets in my face. Hey, white boy, what family you riding with? Look at your face change. Yeah. Man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, I'm riding with God. Please just mm-hmm. leave me on. I'm riding with God. Mm-hmm. He laughed at me, Ed. He mm-hmm. said, God isn't here, white boy, because we kicked him out. He said, but we're here and we're coming to get you. Get ready. Stumbles up the stairs. A few minutes later, biggest corn-fed white dude I've ever seen in my life. He's coming down. He points at me from third row. Huge dude muscled up, man. He's coming down the stairwell. He's bald head with a swastika around the top. Swastika on the dome of his head, man. All I see is a swastika, two beady eyeballs and muscles coming at me. Dude, Ed, I played sports all my life, man. When that guy got within range, I can be coached. Bam! I hit the dude as hard as I could. Didn't even face him. This dude beat me down. But, Ed, that was what life was like in prison. For the first two months, I spent fighting there, fighting for my life. But but I had, the, I had Mr. Jackson telling me that you don't have to win those fights, but you have to fight those fights. And I lost most of my fights in there, Ed. I, I tell people all the time, man, I probably got three dozen fights the whole time I was there and lost 75% of those fights. That's what I wanted to ask you. Physically lost, Ed. Mm. Imagine waking up every day knowing that you're going to get your butt handed to you, mm. but that's your day, and you have to face your day. Mm. And it, it was a training ground. It was a massive tra- If you want it to be, it's a massive training ground. It's finding that opportunity and adversity. It's what you talk about, Ed. Mm. The other side of your adversity, the other side of your fears is the best version of you, but I had to go through all that to get to where I wanted to be. I want to talk about this some more, by the way. Now everyone knows what the heck I was talking about when I introduced you. Right? First 10 minutes, man. Yeah, we're rolling. We're rolling. <laughs> There's a lesson in there I want to share with you that I got from my dad's sobriety. And I know we'll talk a little bit about this as we go today, too. But So about three weeks ago, man, I wrote this whole book about, you know, the one mores. And I woke up. I woke my wife up. It was really emotional. And I said, babe, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. And I said, hey. I said, um, someone help daddy 
She said, what? I said, someone helped my dad. The most important decision of my entire life is my dad's decision to get sober. You and I probably aren't talking if he doesn't. I've reached millions of people because my dad made this decision. My kids, my, my dad's grandkids, our whole lives are changed. It never occurred to me, man, someone helped my dad. Yeah. I didn't think about it. And she goes, my gosh, I said, that precious soul who met my father in the darkest moment of his life, the most dark, ashamed place of his life, completely changed my father's life forever and changed mine and millions of other people's lives. Yes. They didn't even know it. I said, babe, that's crazy. One human being in their humanity reached out and helped my dad in some dark room or a coffee shop or a bar somewhere. I said, that's not the most amazing part, even though that's amazing. What qualified this person to help my dad? Give me chills, dude. Dude, what qualified them to help my dad was the things they were the most ashamed of. Yes. Was their drunkenness, was their drug addiction, was the things they did they're the most embarrassed and ashamed of that they think disqualified them from ever doing anything great in their life, or maybe their average ordinary existence was the very thing that prepared them. God was preparing them to intervene in my dad's life and change my family forever. Absolutely. And, and I can see it in your eyes. That's the same thing with Mr. Jackson. Yes. This guy's, you're, you're talking to him at the jail because he'd been in that system and was still there. The things that he probably made the biggest mistakes of his life or what prepared him to serve you and help you in the most scared dark moment of your life his things he's most ashamed of and embarrassed by is what his preparation was to change your life absolutely it was his knowledge that was what he had to pass on that was his great contribution to humanity was was passing this on to somebody he felt was worthy of the knowledge that he had gained the hardest way possible man come on man this is this is what people and that's what your dad got from his sponsor man and that's what millions are getting from you here we go so here's the thing this is what people need to get about life yes these things that you think disqualify you are actually the great qualifiers for you to help change other people's lives including your own they're not liabilities man they're assets that's right yes people i don't know if if there's ever been a more magic moment in a podcast in the history of podcasts than this because it's a freaking fact that that person changed my dad's life jackson saves your life probably right well yeah and now you're now telling the story of the coffee bean, which by the way is a book that you and john gordon wrote that people can get is is about the coffee bean which is an incredible book that's a story no one will ever forget the history of their life but it's the fact that you had this drug addiction and meth addiction and committed these crimes that qualifies you to sit in the seat today that qualified jackson to be with you that qualified this person to help my dad that qualifies me to share this stuff with people it's insane how this stuff works it's mind-boggling man because it's 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 like everything is connected we are all connected man and if we're willing to turn our mess into a message and that's the thing man it's like everybody that's one of the things i wanted to come on your show for it's because i know i know you got a lot of listeners out there that struggle because everybody struggles yes everybody you meet in life struggles in life man but it's it's tapping into each other that that's how we're going to get through we have Mm -hmm. to serve each other this is my way of serving by passing on this message to jack not only pass on the message that jackson gave me but to share an amazing story that goes with it because you Mm -hmm. can't deny what you can see Mm -hmm. people say okay well the coffee bean but then they see that this thing happened this biggest pot of one People's biggest fear, Ed, that they tell me is going to prison. That's like everybody's biggest fear in the world. Mm-hmm. And I know I not only went in there, I didn't just survive. I thrived inside of a maximum security prison. But the real magic isn't just the coffee bean by itself. It was a spiritual awakening that had to happen to make the coffee bean into what it is today. Mm-hmm. Because inside that prison, I grew more over the next seven years to three months spiritually that I ever did anywhere else in my life. Imagine that, man. You go into a dungeon and you become the best version of yourself like a cocoon. Like a caterpillar goes in and comes out a butterfly. Mm. This is what happened to me inside that prison. I had a spiritual awakening. And I truly believe, Ed, that to for us, like you said, to meet the best version of yourself on the other side of the adversity, this has to be a spiritual thing. 
you can't do this by you. It, it has to be a spiritual thing. That's what I believe. Now, mm-hmm. and, so and I'm I. not, and I'm not saying it's a religious thing. You can mm-hmm. believe whatever religion you want. Mm-hmm. I'm like you. I listen to your stuff, mm-hmm. and you do a great job of, of delineating the fact that you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling anybody they have to be a Christian to pursue this. Mm-hmm. But find whatever it is you feel like is your higher power, mm-hmm. and go after that, and let that higher power surrender the higher power. And this is the spiritual part that happened when I got into a program recovery inside that prison. So, I wouldn't be here without the program recovery. We're going to talk about that. I want to I want to stay on this because what you just said is like, bro, this was just supposed to happen right now. It's supposed to happen on this day. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that it's happening. But I want to. I want. Man, I'm so excited for everyone listening to this right now. Just because I love the. I love my family. That's the audience of the Can show. I say I love yeah. your energy level, dude? Thank I, you, man. And I figure, man, yeah. like I'm like yeah. I'm going into this thing, and and, and I try to read. Prison helps you read people, man. Yeah. I can read rooms, right? I've, because I had to mm-hmm. do it to survive. Mm-hmm. But I, I've, I've I followed you and li- listen to you mm-hmm. and watch. I watch your stories on Instagram and all that. Mm-hmm. And you seem like the kind of guy that matches the energy of the people in your room with. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly you didn't. I mean, you lived up to it, man. <laughs> no. You're like, Dude, this well, is great. Well, but it's real. Like you're firing me up, and it inspires me, right? And like I'm thinking about the metaphor. Like, ironically, probably that worst day of your life, 13 years ago. I think the Lord was like, "Hey, I'm going to pluck you out of society, bro, because you're going to die." Dude, that's exactly happen. the term I and use. It's really okay. I want you. I want you to speak to it. And then the other thing is like, you literally physically got beaten down. And life is beating people down metaphorically oftentimes in life. You literally went in and took physical beatings forever. Do you feel like that's part of what had to happen for you? Ed, it's crazy. And and y'all listen, when we didn't even have it, we didn't rehearse this or anything, man. Not but you said pluck. I use that term all the time when I'm speaking really? to people that I feel like God, what I believe is God. I'm a Christian. So that's mm-hmm. when I talk about God, that's what I'm saying. So I believe that God sent angels down to me that were in the form of SWAT team in Dallas. This Dallas SWAT team, those were my saviors, man. They plucked me out of a world that I wasn't going to get out of, man. I mean, it, I wasn't I wasn't leaving the Uptown Burglary crime spree, spree alive or a version of myself that was worth living, right? Mm-hmm. I truly believe God sent his angels down in their arm. They look like they're just in a massive body armor and everything. There's guns in my faces. They're screaming, don't move, don't move. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's chaos. I didn't see it like that at the time, but at July 30th, 2008, when that SWAT team came to get me, they didn't arrest me that day. They rescued me that day, brother. I got rescued by a SWAT team that God sent down and said, hey, you know what? You're not living up to what I, what I, what I need you to be doing, or I, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you, and let me put you on this path because i got to break you down first yeah. to make you that person. Because I tell people all the time, Ed, man— God doesn't set bushes on fire anymore. He says people on fire, man. You know, and that's, <laughs> so you know, and I'm just like, I get to be one of those people, but everybody gets to be one of those people if they choose to be, but that's a spiritual awakening that you have to have. Brother, I think there's the, the SWAT teams of life are coming all the time for people. And if they'd see them for what they really are, that'd be true. Sometimes that SWAT team is you just had a bankruptcy. You're, you just lost your job. It's the SWAT team coming to rescue you. You know, you just had a relationship end. You know, you're struggling as an entrepreneur. You got a bunch of adversity. Someone just quit on you, just lost a big account. That could literally be the SWAT team for you. And when you're listening to shows like this, when you get inspired by these stories, you need to think about how it applies to your own life. That's what moves you. It's not just Damon's story. It's how it applies for you. The different how it transcends just the story, but the principles, right? So you're in there getting your butt whooped regularly. Why and how does it stop? And then what happens? Didn't you have an experience with like, was your first summer like a really short Latino dude? Yeah. Right? And he he also imparted some wisdom onto you to oh, some yeah. extent as well. So just go for all of that at one time. 
And so what the way it stopped is like six weeks into prison, man, I get up on a Monday morning and I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of living in fear, man. And there's some days I don't even leave my cell because I know yeah. someone's going to say, hey, Wes, I want to look at you in the shower. Mm-hmm. There's nothing gay about what they're mm-hmm. saying. They don't want to look at you in the shower like in a, in a, in a, in a homosexual mm-hmm. sense. They're, they're saying, I want to look at you in the shower. They want to look at your boxing game because mm-hmm. that's where you go fight. You go box in the showers. There's no cameras. There's no guards. And all the blood you spill comes out of the shower real easy when you wash it off, right? Wow. So there's days I don't leave myself. So, but this Monday morning, I'm like, you know what, I'm done, and I'm fighting the black gangs at this point. I'm like, okay. you know, the only thing I'm leaving on the table is I'm an athlete. I haven't used my athleticism. The rec yard is very intimidating to me. The rec yard is the most segregated place I've ever seen on that life since building. Every sport's segregated by race. So I go that Monday morning, get myself into a basketball game, and that, and I go every day after. And I'm, it is brutal, man. It's nine on one out there. Yeah, it isn't even five on five. It's nine on one when mm-hmm. I'm playing basketball, but I keep showing up. And I keep showing up. I learned two things about adversity that week. Adversity is never as bad as I think it's going to be. And I'm always capable of way more than I think I am. You see, because I've always let overthinking get in the way of overcoming. I still do it this day. I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. But after that week on the record, six days of, of playing basketball, these guys, they finally said, hey, the blacks are like, hey, you know what? You don't have to worry about the blacks the rest of the time you're in prison. You're good with us. And, mm-hmm. and there was one more fight that I had to have about two weeks after that when I was coming off the rec yard. And Carlos, my cellmate, the guy you're referring to, tells me that this guy's going to come rape me in the shower that day, and he gives me a weapon. He gives me a fan motor inside of this bag to beat the guy with, and that's the last fight I ever got into when I was in prison. And once everybody saw that fight go down, I almost killed this guy. I, I tried to kill him, but I didn't succeed. Thank God I Thank didn't God. succeed. But once everybody saw that, they never messed with me again because they saw that I spoke the only language that everybody speaks in prison. That's violence. Violence. Violence, violence is the only thing. You, either you speak violence or someone speaks to you, but you're going to be fluent in the language of violence in prison. Did Carlos also say, Damon, something to you like, hey, man, this would be an opportunity to grow oh, yeah. or something like that? Well, how did he that word was, that to you? That was whenever I came to Carlos, man. So after this is all over, I'm, at, I'm in the cell one night with Carlos, man, and I'm like, Carlos, and I'm telling him, I'm like, man, this dude in county told me this story about the coffee bean, mm-hmm. and I can't figure it out, man. I came to him like in, in desperate. I was vulnerable. I was vulnerable mm-hmm. with Carlos. I got comfortable enough with him. So I told him the story of the coffee bean, just like Jackson told it to me, and, and Carlos comes flying down the top bunk. He's a real animated little dude. We live in this little 10 by 12 cell. And he's like, oh, my God. He said, West, I love this coffee bean story. He said, but you know coffee bean, and you're never going to be a coffee bean. Man, I got in Carlos's face. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not going to be a coffee? Who are you, the coffee bean man? Why can't I be a coffee bean, you know? So I'll never forget, man. This little dude looks at me, starts laughing. He goes, because you got stinking thinking, West. He said, your thinking is all off. He said, your thoughts control your actions. But Really? Yes, and that's what he's telling. He's telling me about your how your thoughts are so important. What we think is what we do, you know? And he said, you, your problem right now is you look at prison as a punishment. Prison's not a punishment, man. Prison's an opportunity. And I, I'm like, what do you mean opportunity? I said, Carlos was serving life in one of the toughest prisons in Texas. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. I, how is this an opportunity? And he told me, he said, this is your opportunity, Wes, to work on yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week, become the best version of yourself possible. And it lights out that night when the guards get done counting. He peeks his head down from the top bunk. He says, psst, West, what are you prepared to do tomorrow with your opportunity? Jeez. This dude refused to call prison a punishment, Ed. This is my cellmate, man. I'm wow. Twice I'm blessed with these yeah, people. But this is what God does in my life. God has never just reached his hand down and said, hey, Damon, you're healed. Mm-hmm. No, God has put people in my life. And these people, when I was younger, they were, they were, they were coaches, they were teachers, they were parents, they were people in my community, right? They helped raise me. And when I, was, when I got older, they came in the forms of different people. One of them was a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Another one was this little Hispanic bank robber from San Antonio. But if we're receptive to the messengers that are on the path of life, they become guides to us, man. Yes. And that's what he was, man. This guy would remind me every day, this is your opportunity, man. 
He was like Mickey and uh, the, 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 the trainer for Rocky, man. Yeah. It was, it's yeah. just your opportunity. He would encourage me, man. Mm-hmm. And I got up every day and I, and I looked at prison differently from the next day on. My feet hit the cold concrete floor of the prison cell the next day. And I'm like, all right, God, thanks for this opportunity. And I didn't believe it. Ed, I, I said it, but I didn't believe it. But I did what is so necessary in life to change the situation I was in. I took one small step of action into a new life. Mm-hmm. One small step. Like you talked, the power one more. Mm-hmm. Every day I took one small step. And that's what people tell me all the time. Damon, I just don't have their best plan to get from A to B to C to D. Don't worry about a plan. Yeah. Go, man. Go. Go. Because growth takes place outside your comfort zone. Get uncomfortable and grow. Man. And I did, man. I got so uncomfortable in that place, but I grew, Ed. Yeah. I grew more in there than I did anywhere else in my life. Really? You grew more in there than anywhere else. And then you, you're you in there 10 years, correct? It was seven years and three months. Seven Almost years th- 10. So, yeah. Okay, seven years, three months. And at what point did you get, well, you were sober in there, right? Because they're, well, you can get drugs in there, so that's not You get true. anything you want in get there, anything man. You want. So did your sobriety begin when you got in there and did you make a decision to get sober or was it just like I don't have access to the stuff yet so I'm just not going to do it anymore dude I love it man you grew up with a father who was an AA you yeah. know the questions so yeah. yeah my sobriety day just July 30th 2008 the SWAT team comes in okay. and I'm hitting a bong of meth when the SWAT team comes in that's the last day I ever do a drug or drink or anything in my life mm. I got sober that day mm. but I didn't get into recovery that day Okay. Sobriety and recovery. As your dad, I'm sure, told God, yeah. I got so many questions for you, Ed. As your dad told you, I'm sure, are yes. two different things, yes. man. Yes, yes. So I got into recovery, and it was in 2011 when I was in prison. Wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in prison. Yeah, I'm in prison for a couple years, okay. and I don't get into the AA group or anything like that. I'm mm-hmm. working on myself. I'm becoming that coffee bean, and I'm mm-hmm. positive. Everybody wants to be And it's, you know, your energy attracts the other kind of energy. So I'm putting out positive energy, attracting positivity. But I had a cellmate, and one night he was up, and he was a cocaine dealer. And so he, one night he's jacked up on cocaine. He's bouncing around this little 10 by 12. He's cleaning our cell with a little toothbrush. I mean, dude, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, this is not the place you want to do blow. I mean, yeah. this is like you're trapped in a cage. Yeah. So he's tweaking out, and I look over there at the table. He's got this, this bowl of Coke over there, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I used to love to do Coke. You know, I bet I could do some Coke again. Mm. And I'm like, man, where did this talk come I'm serving life. And, and I, I've ruined my, my family. I've, I've destroyed my family. I've destroyed my life. Mm. And, and now I'm having thoughts about using again. Yeah. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about doing it. And I knew I needed something else. I'm reading my Bible when this is going on, Ed. Wow. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm, and I could quote you Bible, scripture, and verse. Of, but I, I needed something more. And I, and I realized that Bible wasn't going to be enough mm. to keep me sober. Mm. So I dropped what they call in Texas prison an I-60, which is a request form. And then I got a lay-in to go to my first AA and NA meeting. Now, and I want to give this disclaimer for all the people out yeah. there that are, I don't speak for AA. It's, yeah. it's just a program recovery that I'm in. It's a 12-step yeah. program I am in for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I get my first lay-in to go to this meeting, and it says, report to the chapel, 730 in the morning for AA and NA. This is July of 2011 when I go to my first meeting. And Ed, I, I'm an addict. And one of the things about being an addict is we have crazy thinking, man. We have just, we, we just, so I'm looking at this lay-in. It says be at the chapel at 730. And look, I know the numbers. I know that 80% of the people that are locked up have substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. There's 3,000 men on my unit. It's a big unit. So I'm like, man, that's 2,400 people. They're going to be at this meeting. How are we going to fit them all in the chapel? We're going to have to go out to the rec yard. They're going to bring guards from another year. Yeah. It's like a Rolling Stones concert, this, this AA meeting, right? <laughs> right. Wrong, man. <laughs> I got to the chapel hope that Wednesday morning. There were 50 guys in there, 50 out of 2,400 that need to be at that meeting Mm -hmm. are in there. And that's when I knew I found my home. Mm -hmm. That's when I knew I found the right room. Do you still go to meetings now? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I you do. Man, I've got. To, I, I try to go to two or three meetings a week. I talk to my sponsor almost daily. I mean, we really? stay on the phone. I'm on the road a lot. I go to meetings on the road. I mean, mm-hmm. I find. Yep. You know, you get online, you Google your AA, whatever, wherever you are, and they'll yeah. tell you where the meetings Friends are. Friends of Bill W. Somewhere. Friends of Bill W. I yeah. mean, and, and so I, I go yeah. to my I go to my meetings. I have to, and I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, Ed. But it's not just about going to meetings. It's getting involved, working the steps. It's living those tenets of recovery. I asked you a question. Mm-hmm. Now, can I ask you a question now? Yeah, sure. So I asked you a question when I'm messaging with you about, did your dad ever go over the the, the four spiritual principles? And, and you're like, yeah, you know, unselfish, honest, pure, and loving. These are, that's the formula for recovery, man. Because if I plug say him again, every, please say them again. Unselfish, mm-hmm. honest, pure, and loving. Yep. And I see this stuff in your your messaging yeah, that you put out. Right. It's all in there, man. Yep. That's why I had to ask. Like, yep. all right, dude, he, his yep. dad told. So you did, and you confirmed your dad yep. told you. But on the opposite side of unselfish, honest, pure, and loving are things like selfish, self-seeking, self-want, self-desire, self-delusion. You see, we have to die to self to become useful again instead of being useless. So and that's what the Gosh, power of Damon. recovery is. I get up to a decision in life, Ed. I've got to ask myself, Damon, is what you're about to do, is it unselfish? Is it honest? Is it pure? Is it loving? And if it's not, Ed, I've got to walk away. I love that. I've got to walk away, Ed. I love that. People have asked me, what is the mindset of an addict? Mm-hmm. And I tell them, this is my answer for that, the mindset of an addict. An addict, when I was in my, I'll use an I statement. When I was yep. in my addiction, I gave up my goals to meet my behaviors. <sighs> you know, a person that's not an addict gives up behaviors to meet their goals. <sighs> Addicts, we don't do that. We can't control it. We just, we'll give up all of our goals. We'll give up our families. Mm-hmm. We'll give up our freedoms. Just to get high, just to get drunk, just to get whatever. And it don't ha- you don't have to be an addict to alcohol or drugs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things to be addicted to right. that you're going to give up your goals to meet that behavior. And that's what a program recovery does. Brother, you just said something genius. I'm going to say something to you guys. You don't have to be addicted to drugs or alcohol to be an addict. You could be addicted to stuff you shouldn't be watching on the internet. You could be addicted to, you could even literally just be addicted to negative thoughts. You could be addicted to your smartphone. You could be addicted to Instagram. These addictions actually will cause you to give up your goals they really will and these addictive behaviors steal them from you and this is like such a profound freaking thing you just said now you're an understanding by the way why damon is recognized as one i'll just be i'm just going to say this up front we're going to talk about when you get out in a minute okay but you know people that i admire i want a lot of you know that my daughter's going to go to clemson and Dabo sweeney i think is the greatest college football coach in the world and and um so I meet Dabo and, and, and we're talking for a few minutes and somehow your name came up. I might have brought it up or he did. Actually, he did. And here's how he brought it up. He said, hey, I think I want you to maybe come talk to the football program. And I said, I would love to do that. And he goes, well, there's a high bar to set. And one of my good friends, John Gordon, has been there to speak. And John's one of his best friends. So he didn't mean this disrespectfully to John at all because John's absolutely incredible. And John's listening to this right now. So I want to say this the right way. But he said to me, he goes, let me just tell you something. The greatest speaker we've ever come, have come talk to this football team is Damon West. Whoa. Yeah. So the greatest speaker we've ever had. And that's Dabble John. said that? He did. That's John Gordon aside, right? Wow. But but he literally told me that. And I said, well, my gosh, I really need to get to know more about this dude. And now I'm experiencing exactly why he said that. So I want you all to think about something. One of the greatest coaches in the history of college football, college sports in general. By the way, let me amend that. One of the great leaders currently existing in America is, is Coach Sweeney, regardless of whatever the business is. And he tells me you're the best guy to come in. And this is the same dude who 13 years ago gets sentenced to life in prison and is fighting every dude in the prison for the first six weeks he's in there or however long it was, is a remarkable turnaround story. So let's, because of the interest of time, because we could go three hours, but we can't, let's fast forward to you getting out. 
So I assume you got out. How did? Why did you get out when you got out? And then what's the first day? Because a lot of people, in, in a metaphorical sense, have been living in some kind of mind prison or some sort of situation that they're in. And maybe you're releasing them right now, right? Maybe you're releasing sure. their thinking. And now they're going to be out. Now they're like, all right, I'm open now to changing my life. I'm open. But, man, I've been in this other way of thinking for a while, this other world. And now you want me to get into this success, happiness, bliss world? So how did, why did you get out when you got out? And then what is it like now that you're outside of that environment again and in one you haven't been in in seven years, right? Because it was a seven-year window. Right. So, so seven years into prison. So I'm working in the chapel one day mm-hmm. as a chapel clerk. And the chaplain came in. He's real excited. He said, hey, West. He said, security's looking for you. They're calling your name on the radio. He said, the parole board's here to see you. Now, hey, look, man, I know I'm up for parole, but I don't think I'm going to make parole, and I don't want to even get my hopes up, my family's hopes up, but I do want to make parole, but I just don't think there's a chance you're going to, not in seven years, man. I know I'm up for parole, but I'll probably do a dime, maybe 15 on this life sentence, right? But I go down the parole office anyway. I got a smile on my face. That's what coffee beans do. We smile everywhere we go. We change the energy with our smile, and the lady for parole sees me. She says, have a seat, Mr. West, and she's flipping through my parole file. She for about 20 seconds and she closes the file up she pushes it away and she said mr west i came here today to ask you a question and she said the answer to my question is not in that file of the guy i'm reading about and she's telling me you had we don't see a lot of people like damon west come through the state prison system you had it all you had everything going for your life every advantage every privilege every opportunity but she blew through that you became a drug addict you became a criminal you became a thief a jury in dallas gives you life in prison she said but instead of letting the license define you she said you change yourself inside this prison mm-hmm. she said you changed this prison actually around you. Coffee she said, bean. Yeah, the coffee bean. Mm. She said, so if you, she said, my question for you is this. She said, if you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, she said, I want you to tell me what that would be in just one word. Go. Man, I breathed out and relaxed because that's an easy question for coffee bean. Mm. And had I told her, I said, ma'am, I just want to be useful. And I can be useful in this prison or I can be useful out in the free world. And on November 16th, 2015, I walked out of a Texas prison. Now, I'm not necessarily free, Ed, because I'm on— You still have to check in when you travel, Man, I'm you? on parole till 2073. Right, you checked in to come here. Yeah, I, I sent your—I your, sent David. And by the way, your people were great, man. Thank Dave you. and all them were so good. Thank you. But I sent them a copy of my parole travel permit because when you told me— Six days ago, this is your opening. Yeah. First thing I did, I went and bought tickets, and I made my hotel register. Then I called my parole officer and said, hey, I got to travel permit. I got I to jam through. Please help me with this. And so she's great. Miss Bragg's got the travel permit approved. But I've got to get permission to leave Texas anytime I leave Texas for the rest of my life. I've got to pee in a cup every month for the rest of my life. I'm not worried about parole, boy. The only way, I, the only way this coffee bean goes to prisons when I go to prisons and walk in the front door and I share this story with the men and women in there to bring them hope on their journey, mm-hmm. and I walk back out the front gate, you know? Yeah. But I walk out, different world, Ed. I mean, I hadn't seen the free world a long time. I mean, phones had buttons whenever I went in, you know. So I mean, and so I walk, I mean, and I get in the car with my parents, and, I, and I'm like, my dad, I mean, he's like, hey, you ready to go get that Whataburger, you know, because I've been dreaming about Whataburger. You ever had a Whataburger? Yes. Yeah, I know man. exactly why you're dreaming They're about so it. They're so good, man. So, <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, man, let's go, Dad. And my mom's like, hang on, Damon, wait. She said, I've got three tools that you're going to need to get through this I life. I love your mom. Oh, she's great, man. Yeah. She's great. So the first tool she gives me is an iPhone. Now look, Ed, I told you phones had buttons when I went. I can't even get the thing light up, right? I don't even know how. I don't even know how there's a screen. Just, just amazing. And she sees me. She's like, "I'm gonna teach you how to use the phone." She said, "But the phones are amazing. They can do everything." She's telling me, "FaceTime. You've got a, a video conference in your pocket, man." When I went to prison, where I was a broker and all this stuff, a video conference happening in a big room like this had a triangle speaker in the middle. There's a TV screen. Yeah. Now it's in your pocket, right? Yeah. 
So she's telling me about the phones. You can stay in touch with the world. Next thing she gives me is my driver's license. I found a way when I was in prison to renew my driver's license. I haven't even driven a golf cart, dude. But Texas is like, yeah, we'll give you a golf license. <laughs> so she hands me my driver's license. She said, Damon, you've got a phone. You can stay in touch with the world. She said, you've got a driver's license, and you can use my truck until you can afford to buy your own car. She said, what are you missing? Now, my mom, Ed, when she says, what are you missing? My mom is a very spiritual person. She's a very devout Christian woman. And I know it's going to be something spiritual because that's my mom. I said, Mom, just relax. I said, look, this is great. I tell her about my program recovery. I said, man, I, I've got all the tools I need. I hold my Bible, my rosary. I said, Mom, I, I'm great. I'm good to go. God's driving the car, and I'm just a passenger now. I'm good, Mom. And she said, Damon, you always did talk too much. And she said, stick out your wrist. So I stuck out my wrist, Dad, and she put this bracelet on my wrist. It was a bunch of fishing hooks on the bracelet, and it's called a Fisher of Men bracelet. Mm. These retreats that I went to in prison, they called them ACTS, Adoration, Community, Theology, and Service. A bunch of Catholic guys, a bunch of Christian guys would come in, and they would spend four days with us. The cursed, the wicked, the sinners, the incarcerated, the dregs of society. These men would come in there and love on us. I mean, and love. And I saw a man that hadn't had a, a hug in 22 years break down into a heap of tears and start crying when these men just reach around and start hugging on him because he hadn't had human affection in 22 years, man. So I go to these retreats when I'm in prison, and I get on the phone, and I call my mom when I was in prison, and I told my mom, I said, Mom, when I get out of prison, i got to find these guys. These guys are amazing. I want to be one of these guys' brothers. I want to be an axe brother. Mm-hmm. So she's putting this bracelet on my wrist, and she said, Damon, back in our community at home, every axe brother and sister wears one of these bracelets on their wrist to identify themselves in public. When they see one, they can spot one, right? And she said, you said you wanted to find these guys. She said, so I'm helping you out. She said, in two months, you're going to go to your first axe retreat on the and the outside in the free world she said go find your friends mm. and i mean ed man that was the greatest gift in the world i went to this retreat these men it's a men's retreat these men i mean they 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 told me about their successes in life but more importantly they share with me their failures man failed marriages lost key. jobs families that have been torn apart by the decisions they made they shared with me their failures so i didn't have to fail on my own you know it gets it's like nick saban told me once he said you the the best teams good players learn from their their own mistakes, but a great player learns from the mistakes of other people. They were setting me up to be a great human being by sharing with me their struggles and where they failed. They were being vulnerable. Vulnerability is a strength. I learned that from Dabo. And so I've got these gods in life, these men that'll help me through it. And so I get out, Ed, and it's hard, man. At prison was difficult, and I had all the advantages in life. But the very first day I get out, I go to my first AA meeting. I go to my first recovery meeting, and and in there is the man that brought the meetings into the, the prison. I'm going to use a different name to protect his anonymity. Mm-hmm. I call him Ray in my book. Mm-hmm. So Ray, whenever I was in prison, I used to tell Ray, hey, Ray, you live in the same area that I'm going to parole to one day. I'm going to get out of here one day, and when I get out, I'm coming to find your home group, and I, you're going to be my sponsor. And he would just he would kind of laugh it off. He's, an, he's bringing an AA meeting to a maximum security prison. He gets lied to more than the police, man. Yeah, right. So he's like, yeah, okay, whatever, man. But I walk into that meeting, and there he is, man. His jaw drops to the floor. He said, you made it. I said, yeah, Ray, I made it, and, and I need a sponsor. I don't want to go back. And he said, he said, Damon, I'll do it. I'll be your sponsor. He said, if you'll promise me, you'll go to any lengths to stay sober. And if you ever have a thought of drinking again or doing drugs, you'll call me first. I love it. And he said, you've got to work this program to the fullest if I'm going to be your sponsor. And, I, and I, I'm, in, I'm in. You know, Ed, whenever I first got out, this stuff that's happening in my life wasn't happening back then. I couldn't even go into a school without a judge or a cop with me. I mean, that's how I had to go. I had to be escorted in because yeah. I just got out of prison. I'm an unknown quantity. Yep. But 
you know, the first couple of months I was out, I couldn't go into schools, couldn't do anything, and I was down. And Ray comes up to me. We're meeting, having a sponsor meeting, and he said, "You're about to go back to prison, Damon." Mm-hmm. It got my attention. Yeah. And I'm like, "Man, well, what do you mean?" He said, "Because you're living in self." He said, "You're not living outside yourself. You can't work this. You're not working your program recovery." And I said, "What? I'm going to my meetings. I, I'm answering. I'm working the steps. I'm on the fourth step. You know, where we're trying to put down with our fears and our resentments, things that hold us back." He said, no one can work a program recovery if they're living in their self. You have to be outside of self. I know your dad told you this yeah. stuff, too. And I said, he said, you need to find volunteer work to do. And I'm like, Ray, no one will let me come in and volunteer. I'm my ex-con. No one wants me. He said, that's not true. That's that, that's that fear and self-pity talking. He said, you want to go somewhere? He said, go to a senior citizen's home, any one of them around the area. Go to the front desk. Ask them for a list of people that don't ever get visits. They're going to give you this big, long list of people that have been forgotten. He said, spend your weekends visiting with them and come back and tell me. This is like what your dad did with you. This is, I connect, the first thing I heard from you that connected was your dad telling you to go work with those those boys, those orphans, right? Yes. Ray's telling me, go spend your time with people that have been forgotten. It'll change your worldview, and it did it. I spent. You did that. Uh, yeah, I went into the senior citizen home and down in Southeast Texas, and I, I went in there. I spent time with people that hadn't had a visitor in ten years. No one to sit there and listen to them. Man, everybody wants to feel like they've been heard. Everybody wants a visitor, and I know. And, and this is what he said. He said, "You know what it's like to be in a prison." And you hit it on a while ago. There's a lot of different ways to be in prison. Now, you don't have to be in a physical prison to be in prison. But these people have been forgotten about with their families, and that's how I got where I was. That's you're making, what, you're making me emotional just because. Um, I see so much of my dad in you, even though your personalities are very different. Man, the fact that you did that's unbelievable. I mean, the fact that you went and actually did that is incredible. I and, promised I would go to any lengths to stay sober, Ed. Yeah, I had to do it. Yeah, brother, but, like, that's special. And and I must say to you, people ask me all the time, why do you believe so much in mentors? I've had a bunch of sponsors, even though I'm not an alcoholic. So, like, what I mean by that is, like, in the program – you have a sponsor that you can be accountable to that's kind of like a mentor, you know, but someone that you can, you know, share your deepest things with. And I learned that from watching my dad, and, and my dad sponsored so many different people. Did he really? So that's what I wanted to ask you. Did he, was he, a, was he, a, was he sponsored a lot of people? Bro, when my dad passed away, I'll share this with you. And I, I want to make Get sure Get back we to your make, thought, but I, I don't. Yeah, no, my dad, when my dad passed away, I didn't know how many he sponsored. I knew that he had sponsored several. But when my dad passed away, the day that he passed away, my mother asked me to go upstairs and just get this stuff together because she is too emotional to go do it and all over my dad's kitchen sink all over were these index cards like tons of them bro like a hundred and on these index cards were initials with dates and what they were were the sobriety birthdays of the people that my dad helped sponsor and get sober and so he would call all of them on you know obviously regularly but on those dates friends of mine in town would say that i didn't know my dad yeah people around town where i lived and i didn't know what they were meaning at the time would say to me hey dude i heard from your dad on my birthday I'm like, you know my dad? They're like, oh, yeah, I know your dad. And I had no idea what they meant. So there's hundreds of these names on there that my dad would call and say, hey, man, one more day, one more day at a time. Congratulations. And so there were all these people that my dad had helped. But when I would watch him, and sometimes when I was young and just knew that he was helping somebody, I'd hear him on the phone, you know. I remember thinking, that's what I need in my life. I need kind of a, like in the business world, I need a mentor. I need a, and that, that mentor's like a sponsor. A mentor is that, like, hey man, yes. stay on the process. Here's the program. This is what we're doing. I'm further down the road than you. Here's how it works. And so in our lives, you know, when you hear these things about recovery, there's so many lessons in it about having a strategy, having a program. I know people who are sober that aren't in AA. They have a different program and a different strategy. But that program with the sponsors and the program and the steps, 
are things that I've used in my own life. And the more that you really understand the work that I teach, the kind of a lot of people don't know where this stuff comes from. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that you did that. I was just, it's the first time I've ever done an interview where I was kind of like, my dad's in here really shining right now. Oh, like man. he's just proud of you. No bigger compliment, yeah, brother. Brother isn't any bigger compliment. Now, your let's dad go. is a dude. Yeah. Just hearing this most your, important your person. nuggets about your dad throughout the past year and a half that yeah. I've followed you, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the big one, by the way, is that you are taking those steps. And I want to just, I want to, I want to make sure we have time to get this in because, so you start out, you get out. And you're going to see these precious older folks who no one's gone to see. It's just a beautiful moment of service. Who, who'd have thought those times where you were running around robbing people's houses that within a decade or less, you're now doing that? What an amazing turn. My belief that human beings can change because I watched my father change, right? I watched him live one way my first 15 years and then magnificently the next 35. You're doing the same thing. You lived one way those years, college, post, and then you get out, man, and you find yourself with this precious older man somewhere that hadn't seen anybody in eight years. But that then leads to some of the most influential people in the world, people that I admire the most, trusting you with the precious resources, which are these young people to which they lead. How in the world did that actually first happen? Like, how do you go from, you're out, you're now in recovery, you're at the old folks' home, seeing people at the nursing home, to, okay, uh, Nick Saban's asked me to come in here and speak. Dabo Sweeney wants me to come speak. This big arena wants me to come here and speak. I'm on my let show. Like, how the, what happened? Dude, I can break it down to one day. We all, all right, okay. this is a one more story for you, Ed. Okay, this cool. is like... Okay. Your book, okay. which, by the way, is about to come out, and Thank I cannot you. wait. And Thank that you. event that you're about to have is, I mean, I've never you, seen man. anybody do something like that, dude. Bravo. That's Thank a you, huge man. Thing. Appreciate it. So I can break this down to one day, the one okay. more day. January 12th, 2017. I'm out of prison for 14 months. I, I mm-hmm. walked out of prison, and I, had, I got, had a job waiting for me at a law firm because okay. I did some legal work of my own in prison. The lawyers took notice of it. Yeah. If you ever get out, come see us. we got a job for you. Wow. They honored that. They gave me a job. I'm working at the most prestigious law firm in Southeast Texas. Wow. But I've got this dream of sharing this story. And first, I thought my story needed to be in the world of college football. This is way before it becomes in corporate America and Fortune mm-hmm. 100s and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't have any access to college football coaches, Ed. I don't know any. It's 20 years since I took a snap in college, right? They don't know me. I don't know them. A buddy of mine calls me up. His name was Mike Orta, and he worked for KHOU, the big media station in Houston. He said, hey, look, tonight in Houston is the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. They're going to name the best college football coach in America. He said, the best coaches in America, eight best coaches in America are going to be in this room. I've got an extra press pass. Do you want to go? And I'm like, man, you bet I want to go. I told my, I told my boss, Chris Kirchmer, the lawyer I work for, Chris, this may be my shot. He said, get going. So Beaumont, where I live, is 90 miles from Houston. It's all I-10. I burn up the road between I-10, between Beaumont and Houston. Mm-hmm. I get to the Toyota Center in Houston that night. He hands me a press pass, and I hit the ground running. And all the best coaches are there. I mean, USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, yeah. P.J. Fleck, they're all in the room. Okay. And I am get to meet all these guys and shake their hand and give them my elevator pitch. I've been practicing for an hour and a half Like if this, if this yeah. day came. Kind of like, hey, mm-hmm. be here at this time, go. Yeah. Yeah. And my pitch is terrible. And, and I'm there, and, and I, I feel like I've got sweaty hands, everything else. And mm. Every coach I meet that night basically tells me no. And they're not rude about it, but it's just like, nah, don't mm. call us, we'll call you. In one hour, I'm done with seven coaches. They're done with me more. You, you like, pissed through the room. Pissed through the room in one hour, man. I, 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 mean, I, I came in there on fire. You, my personality, man. I'm yes. like, in one hour, I've been told no seven times, man. Seven of the eight coaches have told me no. And I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center, and I'm licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself. 
And the voice in my head says, go home. Go home, man. You failed. That last coach is going to tell you no. The last coach is the hardest guy to get to in the room, man. His his team just beat Alabama two nights before for the national championship. Everybody wants this guy's time. But Ed, a long time ago, I quit listening to myself. And I started talking to myself a long time ago. That voice in your head will tell you some crazy stuff. You don't have to believe everything you think. No, man. Yep. So I'm, I'm like, no. And I'm in the corner. And I'm like, no, man. You survived prison. You survived way worse mm-hmm. than this. He's going to tell you no, and that's it. That's good. But you're going to go home, and you're going to get told no eight times before you walk out that door. One more. I got one more coach. So I stalk Dabo Sweeney around that room. And I look like a crazy person, Ed. I'm hiding behind fake plants. I'm hiding behind people. <laughs> Every conversation Dabo has, I'm, in the, I'm there somewhere. I know he sees me. Yeah. And I finally get Dabo alone, and I give him my best stuff for about a minute. And then Dabo retells the story, and he'll tell you, I was speaking 90 miles an hour, man. I'm in his face. And, man, at the end of this one-minute pitch, he's like, you got a card on you or something, dude? So I give him my card. He says, he takes it. He says, I'll check you out. And he takes off. He can't get away from me fast enough. I mean, dude, I've, I've occupied this guy for longer than anybody in the room. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I breathed out. I'm like, okay. I went 0 for 8. But, Ed, I felt okay about that last no because I left it all on the field. And that's yeah. what we tell people when they're younger, when they're playing sports, when we, the stuff we forget when we're children, that we leave it all on the field. We give it our best effort. And sometimes we're going to come up short, but it's okay if you yeah. tried your hardest. Yeah. You don't have to win all your fights, but you got to fight all your fights. Fought all my fights, went home and like a baby. Fights. Forgot about that night. Forgot about it entirely. Four months later, I got an email from the director of football operations at Clemson. And this is a guy named Mike Dooley. And this is a story I, sh- I share with sales organizations all over the place, man, because sales is so much about that one more, you know? Yeah. Mike Dooley's email says, hey, Damon, Coach Sweeney met you at award show in Houston. He would love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Dude, Ed. Do I, I have August every, 1st open? I've got, I got August 1st open, man. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing going on in my life, dude. So August 1st, 2017, I, I go speak to the Clemson Tigers to defend the national champions of college football. God. And when I got done with my presentation that night, Dabo was up in my face. And you know, you've been yes. around Dabo. He's a yeah. high-energy guy, too. Yes. He's like, Damon, I've never seen my players respond like that to us. Yes. I've never heard a story like that before. He said, have you been to Alabama yet? And I'm like, on, no, man. Dabo, I've been to Clemson, dude. Yeah. I haven't been anywhere, man. And so he said, well, he said, I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room. We'll see what happens. And Dabo shot a little video for me, a little a little 46-second video that, that changed my life. Because when I landed in Houston the next morning, I had a voicemail, a text message from the director of football operations at Alabama, University of Alabama. Come on, man. It says, August 21st, 7.30 p.m., you're on. And now we're going. Just like that. And now, now we're, we're going. And now all these coaches in America are calling my phone because Dabo's giving my cell phone number out and said, you got to bring this guy in. Okay, I got to tell you, dude, I made Dabo Sweeney. I've known this man like six minutes. <laughs> and he tells me the exact story you just told me. I just want you all to know. I mean, exactly. It's like, this dude wouldn't leave me alone. He was relentless. He's following me around the room. He's hiding behind fake plants. Yes, He's yes. just standing and staring at kind me. Kind of like oh, I, I did you, man. You, you, I'm like, he, he did. He told me. And he said, then he comes in and he said, it's the greatest talk that's ever been given to our team. Bam. 20 days later, you're with now Nick Saban. Nick Saban. And then I'm with Kirby Smart. And then it's, it's Lincoln Riley. And then it's all these, Chip Kelly and, Link, and, and Lane Kiffin, all these guys. Which has led to this prolific career. But the real magic, Ed, happened. It was one year after my presentation to Clemson. I'm at my desk at work at that law firm again, which I don't work for the law firm. I'm an entrepreneur now. I've got several companies now, you know? So I work for myself, but back then I was still working the law firm. And it's August 2018. I'll never forget, but I get this phone call. And on the other end of the phone is a guy named John Gordon. Now, look, man, I follow John Gordon, man. I know John Gordon's the energy bus guy. He's yeah. sold five million books. He's a huge motivation. Yeah. I follow John. John. I actually follow John on Twitter. Every morning I get my inspiration from this Amazing guy's man. tweets. Yeah. And he's on my phone. And I'm like, John, man, well, how do you know who I am? And he said, 
Dabo Sweeney. He said, Damon, I just got done talking to the Clemson football team. Dabo brought me in the office and he was telling me your story. And he said, Damon, the, you know, he was telling me that the, the motto at Clemson is be a coffee bean. They got these little shirts that say be a coffee bean with a paw print on it, Ed. I mean, they're really, I mean, it's just like, and this is what you're talking about. The best culture that you could find in corporate America or sports or anywhere, they've got shirts that say be a coffee bean with a little paw print on it, man. I mean, yeah. so John tells me, and John tells me, this is before the pandemic. This is 2018. John said, Damon, the world needs the coffee bean message, Damon. Let's deliver this message to the world. Will you write a book with me? You know what I told John? Yeah. You're John Gordon, man. You go write the book yourself. You don't need me. But John is such an amazing man. John and I love John Gordon. John so Gordon is my he is my biggest champion and mentor and friend in the world. Man, John, John told me no, Damon. He said, God gave me this vision that we're gonna write this book together. So let's write this. Let's just go ahead and do Come what on, God dude. wants us to do. So we write the book. Becomes a bestseller overnight. At July of 2019, it comes out. It hits the world on fire. It's in every language in the world. It's got a global publishing deal. Yes. We've got the same publisher, Wiley. I know. And so, I mean, it's in Spanish, Chinese, Arabic, French, Italian. All these different countries in the world have a copy of the coffee bean, but it all goes back to January 12th, 2017. One more. One I've got to get one more guy. I've got to get one more no before I can go home. Insane. Ends up being the biggest yes in the world. And, it, and by the way, and it goes all the way back to Jackson, which goes all the way back to the. I mean, it's unreal. And I got to say this, to everybody. I want you just to get the whole thing because this has led to this incredible speaking career. It's led to what I know about is probably a movie. It's led to stuff with professional teams and all kinds of. You guys, the life that you can have change is just unbelievable. If you do that one more, and just to think, man, like, and by the way, that book sold like just bazillions of copies by. By the way the coffee bean the coffee yeah. bean. and oh, it's, it's how i actually know john wow. gordon because i wanted him to come on the show because i heard about the book and then bam you and i are connected so then that led to this which led to the movie it's like it's unbelievable the ripple effects of life when you make one decision one change one anything and damon west you guys is i i told you today would be like something you've never heard before from someone who can deliver it like no one you've heard of before so i want to say a couple things i'm going to ask you one last question number one if you ever need a guy to come in and speak and move your team or your organization, this is your guy, okay? If you ever want to have need inspiration again in your life, you need to replay this episode. If you love somebody or care about somebody in any way, shape, or form, share this episode with them. It will change their flipping life because I knew the story, and now we've met, and I'm ready to run through the freaking wall. <laughs> Plus, I'm, in, I'm just seeing my dad in the room, and I'm seeing you, and I've always known about your intensity and your persistence because you've done it with me. But now I love you, brother. I'm like, I love this man. Oh, I, I'm so, I, I really love this man. I'm so inspired by him. You're such a good man. You're everything you were built up to me by these other people I respect, and a lot more than that, bro. There's something extremely that, powerful and special about you. So I want to leave him with one more. If you just serve, help one more person here. Yeah. And I just a basic question. It's not an easy one, but I wanted to end with the hardest one. Someone's listening to this. They're like, hey, man, I've been living in my own little prison. Maybe I'm carrying some stuff I'm ashamed of or I'm embarrassed by or I've just ever always been invisible. You know, you got me inspired right now, Damon West, Ned Milet. I want to do something. I want to leave this prison of my mind and I want to do something great with my life. And this may be a very basic question, but I think it's an important one. Where do I begin? What would your advice be if I met you at a Starbucks right now and I said, hey, I heard you on Milet's show. Oh, my gosh. I wish he would have asked you at the end, though. What do I do next? What would your answer be to that? I'm going to give you a story with this answer. Okay. And it, it, the answer is you have to surrender this idea of control in your life. Mm -hmm. You don't control the things you think you control. To illustrate this, 
I'm going to tell you one last prison story. People love prison stories. So when I first got into my program recovery, I go to a meeting. Ray is in there. And we start these meetings off with this beautiful prayer called the serenity prayer. You've talked about it many times, Ed. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And so Ray says to me, he says to the group, we're going to diagram the serenity prayer today. All right, all right. So he's got a chalkboard behind him. He draws a line from one side of the chalkboard to the other, and he says the first part of the prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. He said, Damon, the things you cannot change are on God's line. He said that God's line is represented on that chalkboard, but it's bigger than the chalkboard. It goes from one horizon universe to the next. That's how big God's line is. And he said, every time you try to touch something on God's line, you've hurt yourself and you've hurt other people because you are not God, and God doesn't need your help to do his job. He said, stay off of God's line. Then he goes up to the board. He erases an inch off the, the big line on the board, and he holds his fingers up to the room about an inch apart for everybody to see. He says the second part of the prayer, the courage to change the things I can. He said the things you can change, Damon, are on your line. You get one inch of that big line. That's it. That's the scale, too. Mm-hmm. He said that one-inch line is called humility because he said humility is being right-sized. And when we are right-sized, then we can be useful to other people, mm-hmm. which is the secret to life to serve other people. He said, and on your little one-inch humble line that God gives you are the four things you control in life. He said, God gives you four things on your little line. These are the four things you have control over. He said, they are exactly what you think, what you say, what you feel, and most importantly, everybody's going to see what you do, your actions, what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. He said, and what I'm telling you is the world around you, you have no control over the world around you. You control the world within you between your ears. And he said the last part of the line was the most, the last part of the prayer was the most important for us addicts and everybody else. Not, you don't have to be an addict for this to be important to you is the wisdom to know the difference between the big line and the little line. And there's a chapter in my book called Not On My Line. Do you know how many times a day I tell myself that's not on my line? And I've been sober and I've been out of prison for years, but I remind myself every day that's not on my line. Now that's what I would tell people when you want you want to have the serenity. You've got to give up this thing. You think this control of these things you don't have control over and then turn your life over to service. And Ed, every single morning I wake up and I say the same prayer, whatever religion you are, you can apply this to your faith. I get in the morning and I say, Hey God, I ask God for two things. I say, Hey God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize that when I see it, because I don't want to miss that. Amen, bro. That's it. I just want you to know that you met the moment today, brother, in a way that I'm so happy Dude, for you. Dude, give me some. I'm man. so this happy awesome, for you. Man. Like, I'm just sitting here going, God is so good. Like, how he's using you. Guys, like, this is exactly why I started this show, is what we just did right now. Actually, what you just did right now, and what God just did through you. I've got a question for you. Before you finish, i got a question okay. for you. I've been dying to ask you, man, about okay. your dad. Okay. All right, because you promised me I could ask some questions about your yeah. dad. All right. When he passed away, mm-hmm. did you find his big book? I did. You did? Yeah. Oh, that's all. I bet, I bet there's so much good stuff inside that big book, Ed. There's a lot in that book, bro. Oh, my God. There's a lot in that book. There's a lot in that book. Off, off camera, I'll tell you about that. But yeah, I did. Please do, man. I did, man. And I, I'm, I'm being honest with you, brother. I'm uh, incredibly inspired by you. And I learned a lot today. I learned a little bit more about my dad today, too. So I'm really, really grateful. I just see some things in you that I saw in my dad that you explained that you explained and you changed millions of people's lives today 
And I think it's maybe multiple millions because I think everyone's hitting the share button right now. And so, everyone, I just want to tell you that I love you. And this is why I bring people like Damon on the show, because I know your life's different than when this hour began. And that's because of the great work you've done in your story. And by the way, ironically, the things you could have been the most ashamed of, most embarrassed by the biggest mistakes of your life is what qualified you to change everybody's life today. And it's what qualifies each of you to change other people's lives. Where do they find you? How do they go get you? Where do they get all your stuff? www.damonwest.org. That's where people find me for speaking. Um, I don't don't have an agent. You just come straight through me. Uh, Instagram and Twitter is at damonwest7. And Ed, I think there's one more thing we got to talk about what's about to happen out there that, that has been saved for this episode, specifically because I was coming on here and the people I'm working with on this project mm-hmm. wanted me to talk about something here today. Okay, give it to us. Are you cool with that? Yeah, do it. Let's do it. We got okay. We're limited, so do it. So I want to hear it. There's going to be a, a limited series made about my life about, mm-hmm. from my book, The Change Agent. Yep. And, and, and it took getting the right partners in place, but right now we've got... Dak Prescott is my partner in this thing, man. Dak, the quarterback from Dallas Cowboys, he's been an amazing partner. This is such a good servant, man. Um, Dak Prescott, Lionsgate, uh, Eric Tannenbaum is the producer on it. Big time. And next month we start taking this thing out to all the all the the all the streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, HBO. We're going to take it out and and try to sell it to it. It's going to have two main characters: we have Damon West and Mr. Jackson, the guy you were talking. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I would like for, like, Jamie Foxx to play Mr. Jackson. Yeah. I, and he's a main character. Whoever plays Mr. Jackson is a main character next to Damon West. We don't know who that's going to be yet, but we start taking this thing out. But the world now knows about it on your show. That's awesome, Yeah, man. that's it, man. I Ryan, knew, but I'm glad you were Lions to say Gates it. said, hey, you're going on Ed Milet. Yes. Tell the world about it on his show. They, yeah, wa- they watch your show. Yeah. They, by, wa- they listen they, to they it. They do. And by the way, and everybody who knows uh, Jamie, let's get this in front of him. Yeah. Right, because we need we need him to play Mr. Jackson in this movie. I'm really glad you said that. I it's in you know I knew, but I didn't know everybody was allowed to know. So thank you for breaking the news. Yeah, here. man, that's, that's thanks for letting me do it on your show. Yeah. Lionsgate was happy. And, and when like, you read your website, you have to say www. Everybody knows about that. You can just say the name of the website. Damon West. You showing your age? All right, DamonWest.org. There you go. www. I love you, brother. All right, hey man. I I had a great time today. I just want to tell you all that I love you. Continue to max out your lives and. Please share today's show. God bless you. This is the Ed Milet Show.